0: What, what else did you see, though? First, I'll just walk through. First, he's kind of amused, right? He's kind of like, you're like oh, wow, double rainbow. And then he kind of, he becomes a bit overwhelmed by it. Th- then he's actually, what was that last emotion we started to see him start to experience? He's, yeah, he, he's actually moved to this place. He starts weeping. He, start, he starts breaking down. He's so overwhelmed. He just starts to have to have this emotional outpouring what what he's experiencing and now this video has become a bit of a social science lab and they show it all the time now apparently in behavioral science classes and uh, psychology classes because he is experiencing now what the sciences are calling awe and in the end there he's saying what does it mean what does it mean and perhaps the old answer to that question would have been a little bit cold and calculated Well, what it means is that light is refracting through water molecules that are hovering in the atmosphere, and the prism of white light going through is expressed. You know, you could give a cold scientific answer to that, right? But the sciences are now embracing, it's not just this physical experience. He's experiencing something, and we're just going to jump right to the word. He seems to be experiencing something transcendent a moment with nature infused with meaning and power that is lifting him somewhere else. And that is the experience of awe and wonder. We're gonna wrap up our mental health series month by talking about some things with awe and wonder, but let me land it for you. Because whenever I set out on this path for mental health awareness, I do things a little bit differently. I'm a preacher, I know my calling, I know what I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to teach the Bible, make it relevant, uh, give God the glory, all that. But whenever we come to mental health awareness, what we're saying is, let's see if there's an intersection between our desire, our culture's actual call and raising the level of awareness to we need to focus on some things with mental health and to see if the Bible intersects with that. One of the things that's been very exciting for me was when I sought to see how the modern social sciences around mental health is intersecting with the Bible, I discovered three things in just my perusing the materials. And they become the three points of what I've been calling now this kind of holy trinity of mental health, kind of this holy trinity of mental health. Because as I started reading the literature, the first thing I saw was one, some of the work by a guy named Jared Clifton. And Jared Clifton was inviting us to quite literally fix our minds. If you remember three weeks ago, he says we can see the world as good or bad. We can see the world as beautiful or boring. We can see the world as alive or mechanistic and dead and even as a social scientist he was saying your quality of life your mental health your experience of the world will be much better and he was giving an actual value judgment on it if you can see the world as good and beautiful and alive and does that does that mesh with the Bible at all friends does that mesh with the Bible at all friends Yes, absolutely, absolutely. We affirm God created the world good. God calls his, be- his, his creation glorious and beautiful, the mountains, the seas. And, and we know that it is alive, filled with the resurrection power of the Spirit, even. So we fix our minds. And so that, that takeaway was just like um, we are called to do uh, in uh, the book of Romans fix your minds. Fix your minds on uh, what is good, what is noble. What is right? What is pure? What is lovely? What is excellent? What is admirable? What is praiseworthy? Fix your minds on these things, and it will literally begin to fix, heal, bring restoration to your mind. So that was takeaway one. The first is just, and and the takeaway from the pastor is kind of, you know, do your devotion, say your prayers, fix your mind on the things of God every day. Uh, The second thing was some of the research is also telling us how vitally important is our social connection. And conversely, how dangerous social isolation is. We looked at some of those studies last week on how social isolation uh, creates higher a chance of heart uh, disease and illness, a much higher rate of dementia, uh, much stronger feelings of uh, depression, uh, worry and anxiety. But if we connect with other people, then we start to share and carry the burdens alone and the weight is lifted and it's a beautiful thing. So the takeaway there was get into a group, join one of our Bible studies, join one of our art classes that Robin teaches, Uh, start a group on your own, Uh, start a hiking group, go on a hike and read a song. I I mean, just get with other people of faith and feel connected, feel connected. And today is gonna be the third part, the final part. And today the takeaway is going to be Quite simple again, almost quite boring. And here's the good news, you're already doing it. The sciences are now pointing us to the absolutely essential experience of awe and wonder combined with rest in our lives. And congratulations, you're doing it right now. Or at least you put yourself in the position to have the opportunity to do it. Because every time we come to worship, we can put ourselves in the position of inviting the rest of God in our lives, and also experiencing awe and wonder in our lives. And I hope, again, by the end of this message now, you're going to be much more primed, much more prepped, much more attuned with an excitement, an opportunity, a desire to come and worship God and experience awe you can actually, the sciences are telling us this now, if you come with an open mind, an open heart, and the expectation for an experience of awe and wonder, guess what? The chances of experiencing awe and wonder, joy and delight, are significantly increased. Okay, to the literature. This comes from the studies of a guy named um, Dakar Keltner. I hope I'm saying that right. And he has a new book, and the book is literally titled, Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder, and how it can transform your life. And in the end, he said, I shouldn't say in the end, in the beginning, he sets this. This is his premise after his studies. He runs the um, uh, the Better Health the Center out of Berkeley, I think it is. And he says this If you want to live a good life, if you want to live a good life, pursue awe. If you want to live a good life, pursue awe. He, he is, has the sciences now, and I won't do it do justice, but he's saying just pursue awe, pursue wonder, and it will improve your life. And what he breaks down, he, and it's much more complicated than this, but he, he says two things about that. He says, one, um, it, will, it will give you a personal um, goodness, a sense of joy, a sense of excitement in your own life, but he also says it'll also make you kind of a, a better person. That will make you a more good person. You will be more apt to be kind, merciful, caring, connected with other people when you pursue awe. Now, first he says we can go and we can pursue natural beauty. And I'm not going to spend too much time on this. We're going to get into how I think the Bible reflects a lot of this stuff. But he says, first, pursue natural beauty. And, of course, we see that in the Scriptures. We are invited to see the beauty of God's creation again and stand in awe and wonder in in light of it, and it immediately took me back to about a decade ago when we first moved here from uh, Canada, and we came here, and my kids were all young, and we were going on a hike in the mountains, and we, uh, in my memory, uh, it was that we kind of were coming, you know, kind of up this path, and we kind of get to this beautiful vista, and we look out at all the glorious Rocky Mountains, you know, and I'm hoping you guys have noticed the mountains around us and at some point have taken them in. But I remember uh, my son, Justin, who was probably 10 years old at the time, saying, um, living here makes me feel small. Living here makes me feel small. But that wasn't a sad statement. That was a profound connection of seeing his place in the bigness and the glory and the grandeur of God's creation. And that's a proper way to see ourselves, right? So we can have these experiences of awe, even as children, in the grandeur and the glory of God's creation. But also he points us to moral beauty, moral beauty. When we are surrounded with acts of moral beauty, kindness, caring, compassion, it raises the level of caring, compassion, and the awe that we see in others and in our own life. Okay, so that's some of the social sciences. That's some of the awesome stuff. But again, where do we see this intersect with this Bible? Where do we see the pursuit of awe and wonder in the Bible? Uh, I have like two sermons here, and I'm going to preach the first one super quick, and then we're going (laughs) to unpack a passage awe and wonder before God. Because we know that you can be cut off to it, unavailable to it. You can just kind of walk away from it. Um, But when you're present to it, available to it, God does wonderful things. Um, Psalm 95 tells us, for example, come. Let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, He made it, His hands from the dry land. Come, let us worship, let us kneel before the Lord our God. The invitation to come and worship the glorious God of nature and beauty and goodness in the world. Um, jumping to the New Testament, Hebrews 10 uh, t- invites us, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, we're going to talk about kind of the holy place, this most holy place by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilt of conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And he goes on and says, Keep gathering together as the people of God in awe and wonder, the holy place we're invited to. Uh, Revelation. So the vision of worship that is yet to come, the awe and kind of yet to come. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands, time ten thousand. If you, are we doing the math? That's a big glorious host of heaven awaiting us. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory. and pray. Uh, and, it, and it keeps going on and on. So, Amazing invitations to experience a renewing, a transforming awe and wonder before God. But where do we turn? I wanna turn to a passage that it gets turned to a lot, but for good reason. Uh, It's just one of these outstanding passages of scripture. I know I've I've preached on on it before in, in, in different contexts, But whenever I thought about awe and wonder, I thought about the prophet Isaiah in a passage called his commissioning, kind of his getting set off into ministry before God. It comes from Isaiah chapter 6. This is a powerful, powerful encounter with God. Um, But again, what I want to do is I almost want to do a series because I was prepping for this. I realized how many other experiences that people had before God how unique they were, how diverse those experiences were. So one thing was certainly that God interacts and and encounters people in a profoundly different ways, which is wonderful and to celebrate that God will meet us at a personal and an intimate level and how we need to be met with God. Um, But this is just such a powerful experience that is not only kind of descriptive of Isaiah's experience, but I think it's important for us to always understand this passage because it's become so prescriptive for us in worship. Much of our worship, much of every worship service you go to in many ways is based upon this. We come into the presence of the Lord. We confess our sins. We are given the assurance of pardon. We hear the voice of God speaking to us then. We respond to the call of God. We're then sent out in mission. So there's kind of this rhythm of worship that has become actually prescriptive for us and how we worship God. But I want you to hear it this morning, I'm gonna read it for you, and I want you to hear it in its descriptive terms, in its descriptive terms, how it's describing how Isaiah first met God. Isaiah chapter six, starting in verse one. I'll put these on the screen here for us, let's do that. Uh, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Hear am I, send me. This is the word of our Lord. Amen and amen, friends. When you come into a worship service on Sunday morning, I imagine you have a set of written or maybe unwritten rather expectations. You expect somebody's probably going to greet you at the door and say, welcome. You expect if you have kids, they're going to get checked in and taken care of in our children's ministry program. You expect Marv to have a great cup of coffee ready for you and a smile there at the cafe. Uh, You expect to come in and hear some incredible worship music. You come in and you expect the pastor to hit a home run, maybe a triple, maybe, maybe just to not strike out if we're going to be perfectly honest, but you have this set of expectations for what your hope is going to happen when you come into a worship service. But may I propose, do we expect to actually encounter with awe and wonder the presence of God in this place. We call it the Lord's house. Call it our Father's house. Call it the house of God. We know it's been dedicated. It was built for God. It's been dedicated to God. It's set aside. It's marked. It's sanctified. It's for the worship of God. And yet, the malaise of daily life in and out can dull the sense of eager expectation to encounter the presence of God, even when we come to worship. Yet I'm hoping that moving forward we might reactivate or re-heighten almost that kind of youthful desire, that, 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 that call, that hope to come in to the presence of God and God's people and sense that He is here, that He is with us, that He is present that His kindness, His grace, His mercy, His love is within our grasp when we come and we worship Him. Because that's what happens to Isaiah. I don't know if he was expecting it. The text seems to point out that he wasn't. He's just sort of like, well, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray and see what God has do my devotions, you know, read some scriptures, go through my motions of worship to God, which is always a good thing. But lo and behold, when he shows up, God shows up too. And of course, what it does is it just, it just absolutely rocks his world. It rocks his world. Let me, let's take you through a quick little progress here. First, Isaiah is gonna have this realization of God is just awesome. When seeking awe and wonder, we have an experience of the awesomeness of God. When Isaiah stands before the awesomeness of God, he's going to realize how awful he is. How awful, how broken, how sinful he knows his life is standing before this holy and glorious God. But then, receiving forgiveness, he is going to say, God, with awe and wonder, is calling me to actually go and to serve him. And that's become, again, a bit of our... Prescription for how we do a lot of worship. Let me walk us through it. And again, this is with the hope, the expectation that we will come into the presence of God with eager anticipation, not with a test, not with a testing of God, but simply saying, God, by your word, you have shown time and time again that you show up when people show up to worship you. When people have shown up to encounter God, Like Isaiah, God has actually been manifest and been there. When people have shown up to worship God, God has spoken a word to them. When people have shown up to worship God, angels have appeared. When people have shown up to worship God, the voice of God has spoken over the people. And we now know, as the Hebrews passage I alluded to briefly, we now have the invitation ever and always by Jesus Christ, says the curtain that was his body, that has been open to us to enter into the holy presence of God. And we are given the promise. I'm kind of giving away the end. We are given the promise. When you come together and you gather and you're doing it with believers in the name of Jesus, I'm going to show up by the power of my Holy Spirit. I'm going to be present there in that space with you. So we're not testing God. We're trusting God. We're putting our faith in God. And we're putting our hope and expectation to have awesome, awe-filled, wonderful encounters with God in our lives. So Isaiah shows up and the first thing that happens is of course God is there and the place is just shaking, it's quaking, he's getting this kind of God quake kind of moment and we know that the angels are singing this song uh, that is reflected in, in the revelation passage, holy, holy, holy. Now we recently talked about holiness, we we're talking about our call to be saints, hagias, holy and dedicated people to God but here we have that famous Trifold expression of holy because again, repetition shows kind of importance, uh, it shows intensity, it, it shows heightening. So it's not just holy, it's not just holy, holy, it is holy, holy, holy. The first thing that we declare and we experience of God is his holiness. But now, let me ask a question uh, for you about that of what practical use is holiness to us? Let me propose to you that God's holiness, practically speaking, means pretty much nothing to us. (laughs) Holiness reflects poorly on us. God's holiness shows our brokenness. God's holiness shows our sin. God's holiness, often the first thing it does, it shows our separation. So for us to come in the presence and to affirm first and foremost, the holiness, the purity, the otherness of God, is the ultimate act of adoration and worship and our expression of love. God? Because again, there's nothing in it for us, right? There's nothing in it for us in God's holiness. So it is a pure act of devotion and love to sing to and express and to declare the holiness, the holiness of God. God, before anything else, let me just express, oh, how gloriously, awesomely, wonderfully holy you are and that's the beautiful expression of these angels forever and always in heaven so they declare the glory the I'm sorry the holiness of God but then we also they have this declaration the whole earth is filled with your glory and I really like that idea of the glory of God or say this revelation of the glory of God and it gets missed in the modern translation because that word glory it also has a double meaning kind of a weightiness or a a heaviness right so whenever they we encounter the presence of God there's sort of this like weight on it this weightiness. It's it it, 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 it was an expression I think more of an expression maybe in my mind it was always an expression like the 50s and 60s but people would always kind of call things like whoa heavy dude is that like an expression anybody like say that anymore (laughs) like man that's heavy but whenever you hear something that's of grave importance or profound or significant or life-changing you're like whoa that's heavy that's touching upon this idea of the glory that is revealed when you encounter the holiness of god there's this weight to it it kind of lands on you um w- w- with this just this this power and this impact and uh, i wanted to quote tim keller because uh, he's a pastor uh, an author that a lot of us in ministry have read and and he tragically passed away just this this past week, so I was reflecting on on, on Tim Keller and some of his books and some of his his writings. But of this passage he wrote in a commentary, uh, he says, this is God moving from concept to reality for Isaiah. This is God finally moving from God is, you know, probably there. God is a good idea. God, um, you know, I like the idea of God. I, I like, I have the hope of there is God. I even have this way of worshiping God. I'm supposed to say these prayers. I'm supposed to make these offerings. I'm supposed to read these scriptures. I'm supposed to cleanse myself ritually in these ways. Again, this is Old Testament time. He had this whole concept of how God was to be known and loved and understood and Respected in, in, in religious worship, but now God all of a sudden is becoming his reality. His overwhelming, all consuming reality. That's the weight that hits Isaiah now. The move from God as concept to reality. Whenever Isaiah moves from concept to uh, reality, again, what's, what's his first expression? Uh, what's the first thing that he realizes about himself? And it seems so peculiar, right? But he says, Woe to me. Woe to me, I am a sinful man. I live among a sinful people. He sees himself in light of this holiness and this glory of God. And there's a sense where he is in a sense kind of like being undone. Now, the interesting thing about this for I, for Isaiah is that he is expressing, he says uh, my uh, my lips are unclean, and he's gonna get cleansed in lips. Now, let's just take a step back from the text for just a second what is isaiah what do we all call him he's isaiah the prophet he said what does a prophet do they speak they speak words they give speeches they do this they use their lips they use their tongue they do a lot of talking the very thing that he would in a sense uh prided himself on the thing that he would have been encouraged through his whole life. You know, hey, Isaiah, you know, you, you seem really good when you, you talk to people. Uh, and, and actually, one thing we know about Isaiah is he actually came from a very kind of wealthy background, upper class. So he would have been like, kind of like the, the guy who's like, yeah, you should go into ministry. You're going to be able to do awesome things with your life and your ministry. And for the first thing for him to recognize in the holiness and the glory of God is his best offering to God, the best thing he was ever able to do for God, the, the greatest talent that, in a sense, he he thanked God for giving him, in light of the reality of God, it's actually awful, right? It, it's actually still unclean. It's unworthy. It's not. It's not. He's, in order to get to the deeper reality of awe and wonder for, before God, he, he's being undone. Let, let's just have a pastoral moment. Have you ever... Kind of been undone in that way like like the thing that you thought was like your most awesome thing somebody else was just more awesome at <laughs> you thought you were the prettiest one and then she walked in the room you thought you were the most musical talented one and then kellen walked into the room you thought you were the most intelligent one and then ruth walked in We have these moments where we just kind of, we're building ourselves up, thinking what we have is so amazing. And then, and it gets done on the, I'm gonna tell a story. I I may have told this before because it was just so. So, I graduated from college, and I went and I I interviewed for a job, and I was offered the job, and then I went to training for the job with a group that was gonna be doing campus ministry. And then when I went to that training, I met this guy named Mark, and Mark and I started to talk. And I told him about the job that I was going to take. And he said, oh, man, I remember meeting with that church. They, they were awful. They were amazing, amazing people. And I was like, oh, you met them too? And then and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, they offered me the job. I was like, wait, they offered you the job? He said, no, no, but I turned it down. I said, oh, so I got your leftovers. Oh, I don't feel quite as good about myself anymore. And so I didn't think anything of it. And uh, then a little bit later that summer, we we met again at a training event. And I'm trying to be the bigger man and be good about, oh, how are things going? Oh, great. Yeah, I'm so excited for this event. Oh, actually, it looks like things are about to start here. Um, We should probably take our seat. And he said, yeah, I should probably get ready. And and I'm like, what? He's like, oh, yeah, I'm leading worship today. So we got up there, and he sits down at the piano. He starts singing like one of those seraphim. And I'm just like, wait, so... I got his leftovers of the job, and now he's leading worship at this conference I'm at. I really love this guy. I really love him so much. So I left for a while, and I went to seminary, and I came back then to do an internship in the Pittsburgh area, and I was taking some exegesis classes, and I'm telling you like all this, I'm telling this story in its full detail here, and then I wanted to go to the library and get some work, because I wasn't super strong at languages. I was making it, I was doing all right. And so I go in to meet with a Hebrew tutor and guess who's sitting at the table who is now the Hebrew tutor for the seminary where I'm doing. I was like, Mark, I love you and bless the Lord for you. No, I was undone by him in every way. And if I'm gonna be perfectly honest, I, oh, I just, I, I wanted to bless him. I wanted to celebrate him. I wanted to get, lift up the gifts of God. But he just undid me. He just was better than me in any way. I'm like, do you want my wife? Like, seriously, like, like she probably loves you more than me already. Just take my wife, take my family. Like, just, I'm undone. And just when I was sort of that moment of the most deepest inner tor- turmoil, and, and, I, and I kid you not, I walk up to the table, and he says, because we hadn't seen each other for like two years, he says, George, I'm so glad to see you. He says, I'm really going through a hard time with the church I'm serving and, and ministry and things that I just don't feel I'm capable of. And, and he was like, George, would you just pray with me before we do anything else? <sighs> that, was, that was God's gift to me, to rebuild me. you know, to re- So that's what's happening to Isaiah. And it's awful; it can be awful to be undone. But listen, on the other side of being undone, brought low, cut down to the to the quick, you know, that's the place where God then reaches down to us and starts building us up again. But building us up as new create. I mean, that's why the Bible's always talking about you know being born again, being made new, being transformed. We we've we've got to get to that place where God says now. Like when I first formed you in, my, in your mother's womb, now I'm going to form you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's start rebuilding you more in conformity to the image and likeness of my son, Jesus Christ. And so that's what's happening to Isaiah here, of course. He says, now we can begin to rebuild you. And so, says one of the seraphim, takes one of the uh, coals from the altar and comes and touches his lips and says, see, your sin is atoned for, the price has been paid, you've been washed clean, all these wonderful things, and then something happens now. Now that Isaiah has experienced the reality of God, now that Isaiah has been undone by God, Isaiah is being rebuilt by God, then all of a sudden he can hear something he hasn't heard before. Who will go for me? Who will go for me? Who's going to join me in this mission of bringing my message of love, of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, of kindness, of knowing God through Jesus Christ. Like who can, who's going to bring this message? And then, and then, oh, there's so much more we could say. But let me wrap it wrap it up with this, because here's what Isaiah says in the end. He says, "Here am I. Send me." So maybe we should get the band up here to begin to take us out because I've, I've I've already gone long. But this is this should not be missed. And we're going to end with this. Because th- this should not be missed. There's two ways you can make this statement, right? And we just kind of want to read it as, uh, here am I. But we would normally say, like if you were talking to somebody, if, if, if your mom called you and you are playing out in the yard and you are coming in to, for, for dinner, and your mom called you, would you say, here am I? No, no, no. What would you say? Here I am. See, here I am is a statement of position. Here I am, I'm George. I'm right here, I'm standing at this spot, up on the stage, here I am. But that's not what Isaiah says. What does Isaiah say? He says a statement of presentation, not position. He says, here am I. And that's the key, that's the hook, that's the thing. What God wants to hear from us, not a position. Here I am God, I hope you'll meet me here. (laughs) I hope you'll be with me here. I hope you'll go with me where I wanna go. No, it's that statement of presentation. Here am I, God, here am I. Now take me, make me, mold me, break me if you have to, rebuild me in the image you want me in, but God, here am I, and I'm now available to you. Now there's a whole nother message to be preached here, but let me um, again close with this. The message for Isaiah is a hard one. Because he is a young man at the start of his life, in the start of his ministry. He's had this encounter with God. God calls him. God is going to choose him. God is going to use him. And then there's this whole other half of this chapter that I'm not going to read through. But then he says, what am I going to do? He says, here I am. Send me. And he says, what's the message we're going to go out to? And and then God gives this detailed sort of story of of, of the calling of, of, of Isaiah. And in the end, it basically says this. And at the end of your ministry... 80 years from now this is going to be the fruit of all of your work a stump in the ground (laughs) and isaiah's like what (laughs) after a lifetime of work what's going to be what am i going to have to show for it he says it's going to be this grand and glorious it's going to look like a stump in the ground says but isaiah what's underneath that stump is the roots And from those roots is going to come that tree. And from that tree is going to come my son, Jesus Christ. And from his life is going to come salvation for the world. So he says, Isaiah, it's going to be a long, hard slog. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be a lot of work. But there is going to be a redeemer. There is going to be a savior coming from the fruits of your efforts. And it all began, it all began with that experience of awe and wonder from Isaiah. So let me do this. We're going to say a quick prayer here, but I want this prayer just to be a springboard into a little bit more worship here. And the invitation is open for each and every one of us. You can experience awe and wonder. You can declare the holiness of God. You can feel the weight of his glory on you if you're ready for it, and that's not putting God to the test. It's trusting him on his promise. That's putting faith in his invitation. So let's put our faith in the invitation of God to experience with awe and wonder his presence in this place. Lord Jesus Christ, we are here in your name to declare your glory, to sing your praise. So we now count on the promise that you've given us, that you are with us. May your Holy Spirit now touch every man and woman and child worshiping you this morning. We pray this in your name.